Hey everyone, and welcome back to My Movie Story. This is Brian here, your host, and uh, great to have you on the show. Thanks for tuning in again. So every week we bring you an interview with uh, an everyday person from all around the world on uh, three very special movies for them. Uh, those movies being their all-time favourite, uh, the film that changed their life, changed their perspective, their view on the world or people, so something quite profound. And then the film they think everyone must see at least once in their life, maybe more than once, but at least once for for whatever reason that is. So um, today I'm very pleased to introduce my guest. Her name is Corrine Asbel from Texas. And Corrine works in banking by day and by night she turns into a giant nerd <laughs> and managing editor for fictionfile.com. Uh, so when she's not devouring anything Star Wars related, Corrine uh, can be found glued to a gaming console of which she owns nine. Um, I'm really curious to know which nine they are, <laughs> which versions they are, uh, or binging anime series. Um, her favourite types of games are the RPGs, particularly Dragon Age games, and she's currently watching uh, Black Butler, and she's waiting very impatiently for the rest of the final season of Attack on Titan. So so she really loves the fiction um, and a great person to have on the Fiction File team. Um, and we also met Jason last week, who also does Fiction File too. So Corrine is also an avid reader. She's currently reading the Alex Stern series by Lee Bardugo. Hope I'm pronouncing that name right. <laughs> and she's also a very strong advocate for mental health and healthcare after um, her personal struggles with ADHD, depression, and leukemia. So that's, you know, the fact that you're, you're here and talking about that is, is fantastic. So that's really great. Um, and uh, her DMs are always open to anyone uh, who just needs a friend to talk to. You can find her on social media. Her main tag is Nonlinear Girl, uh, which is on Instagram, the, all the threads and TikTok and on Twitter. And we'll share those um, tag, uh, those names on the screen now. Uh, so feel free to connect with Corrine and, and follow her and see what she gets up to. Uh, so, Corrine, uh, welcome to My Movie Story. How are you today? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me on here. It's very exciting. Excellent. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining us. And um yeah, we've uh, we've had a couple of chats about movies in the past. Um, you and I did a podcast with with Jason on the the Shawshank Redemption, and I think mm -hmm. that was back during uh, lockdown, um, which was a really good chat. Um, so if anyone's mm -hmm. interested to hear that, they can jump on the Fiction File website and have a look at that. Um, so yeah, um, anything else you'd like to uh, share with us or with our viewers, Corinne? Tell us a little bit about um what you what you do and or actually maybe what are your nine game consoles because like, that's a lot and how do you choose like which ones you play and you know what yeah tell, um, us, tell us about that <laughs> well I just never get rid of my consoles so when I upgrade I just have the other one um I have the original Nintendo I have a Super Nintendo I have a Wii a Wii U I have the Nintendo Switch OLED I have a PS4 Pro, I have a PS5, Xbox 360, Xbox One X, wow. Xbox Series X, and a 3DS. Wow, amazing. And how do you choose which one you're going to play? Like, <laughs> just a random, or is it you kind of go through phases? Or? It depends on what kind of mood I'm in for what game I want to play. Like, um, I play a lot of Overwatch on the PlayStation. Yeah. Uh, but then my friend and I have Game Pass subscription for Xbox. So we'll oftentimes go in there and just play whatever, like free games or whatever that look cool. Yeah. Um, and then, um, of course, I've been playing a lot of the new Tears of the Kingdom Legend of Zelda. All right. The new Zelda game. Yeah. And how, how is it hold up? Is it good? It's very frustrating. Oh, okay. <laughs> just hard. Um, so it's a really good game. Um, it's a call. It's more of a callback to the original Zelda games with the temples and things like that, as opposed to Breath of the Wild. Yeah. It's just sometimes the puzzles, lining up. You you build things to get across puzzles and things like that. Sometimes just lining those pieces up it just makes me want to like rage throw my controller. <laughs> but they yeah. cost too much money, so. Right, right, right. So it's it's a kind of a it's a kind of a love hate thing, isn't it? It's like sometimes mm -hmm. you throw on the remote of the TV and you're like, oh, better not. Yeah, <laughs> that TV is exactly 
don't want to wreck my TV or my game console here. Well, that look, that's really impressive, you know, and um, I'd, I'd love to play video games. Um, I find uh, they would just um, consume me too much probably and I'd get mm-hmm. nothing else done. And I, I got up to about a PlayStation 2, I think, was as far as I got. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I still regard that as a pretty good good console, you know, like, <laughs> but I tell my students that these days and they just kind of laugh at me. So it's uh, it's not cool anymore. But anyway, um, well, cool. Good to good to meet you uh, uh, on camera. You know, we've spoken before, like I said, this is our first time meeting uh, on camera. So, yeah, really, really keen to hear about your three films and, and being a, you know, a fiction file alumni and, and someone who knows films and books and games. I'm sure your films will be really uh, well chosen and all really diverse um so i'd love to really kick it off with um your all-time favorite movie um and this is a hard choice i know but we have to settle on one (laughs) so would you like to tell us that film and and maybe just introduce it this was actually a really easy choice for me oh good (laughs) um i'm i'm a huge star wars fan like a huge fan of the original trilogy like anyone that knows me knows like how obsessed I am with Star Wars like my my living room like if I could have filmed in there it would, would have been great because it's completely <laughs> Star Wars yeah um I chose Empire Strikes Back as my favorite film cool. a galactic odyssey against oppression Big new sprawling space adventure in the Star Wars saga, The Empire Strikes Back. Coming to your galaxy next summer. Yeah, that was a really easy choice. Excellent, excellent. All right, and a film that really doesn't need much introduction. Um, you know, most people sort of are familiar with it. It's got one of the most iconic scenes and lines in movie history, uh, which yeah. I'm sure you know which one I'm talking about. Um, so take me back. So how did Star Wars come into your life and what is it about Star Wars that you just love so much? I actually cannot even remember when I first saw any of the Star Wars movies because, you know, they all came out before I was born. Um, and I just... As long as I know, I've just always loved Star Wars, which is a little weird because, like, my family is a bunch of Trekkies. Oh, right. So, yeah, it's like you're either Star Wars or Patrick. They have no idea how I turned up to be the Star Wars fan of the group. But um, (laughs) it's just, I've always loved the adventure. I love, I have a huge crush on huge crush on Han Solo <laughs> not not Harrison Ford Han Solo specifically Han Solo. yeah yeah I can see that and um <laughs> it's just I've always just loved the movies yeah but Empire is just it's a little bit special to me I consider it the best out of the original trilogy because it's like one movie that like everything goes wrong yeah for the good guys like nothing goes right for them and like a lot of times i'll make a joke that it's it was a uh, luke's no good very very bad horrible no good day <laughs> uh, based off some book from a kid's book i can't remember but um yep. it's so inspiring to me that like at the end of the movie you see Luke and Leia, like they hold hands and they look out the window and there's hope. They still have hope that after everything they went through, yep. that they can still, you know, mm. defeat the Empire. Yeah. And hence the name of the film, The Empire Strikes Back, because they, they really mm. do, you know, and Darth Vader's he's pissed after uh, they blew up his first Death Star. Um, yeah. And uh, and it's a much more darker film, isn't it? it could, so mm-hmm. um, I guess... The good thing about the original trilogy is it's one sort of ongoing story, but each film is like it's sort of a standalone story. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what is it about Empire that makes it stand out as the best Star Wars film, do you think? Um, I mean, obviously there's like, you know, the big, you know, spoiler alert scene that Darth Vader's Luke's dad, you know, which nobody saw coming. No. And it's pretty memorable. And 
like I especially like knowing that scene that Mark Hamill is the only actor on set that knew what James Earl Jones was going to say. Uh-huh. Like Sebast- Sebastian Shaw had no idea. Right. He thought he was saying, he thought the, the line he said was, Luke, I killed your father. Oh, Sebastian Shaw being the actor who played Darth Vader. I'm going to be 90% sure to say yes. Okay. That he was the one in the suit. In the there suit. were three actors. There's three actors all together. Um, and now that I say that, I think Sebastian Shaw was just the face, and I can't remember the other actor. Okay. Was it, was I'm not a very good Star Wars trivia person. David Prowse or something? Does that sound familiar? Yes, David Prowse. David Prowse. David Prowse. Yep. Who yeah. um, was the so face under the one. helmet in Jedi, is that right? When he took his helmet off. Is that David Prowse? I've got, I've, it's been a long day. My brain's confused right now. That's okay. I can't tell you. We, one, we of them was, <laughs> one of them wore the suit, one of them was the face, and James Earl Jones was the voice. And and what a voice, yeah, yeah. So so as you were saying, Mark Hamill was the only actor on the set who knew that line was going to be delivered. Mm-hmm. So, wow, and probably and one, that, time, one of the best-kept secrets in Hollywood. Yeah. And that, that that scream that he gave, like when he went after the line was delivered, it was just, it was just kind of haunting. Oh, yeah. Like it still like just sticks in my head. I can hear that scream. Yeah, yeah. But the, what I do love most about this movie is, like I said, where everything goes wrong. You know, Han gets captured. Luke loses a hand. The base on Hoth gets us up. And so they're just kind of scattered throughout the rebellion, scattered throughout the galaxy. Mm-hmm. They don't have much hope. But somehow you just know that things are going to be okay. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's... That's yep. what that movie represents to me. It's just, yep. I mean, obviously it's awesome. Like I love the scenes with the Millennium Falcon where, you know, uh, Han and Leia share their first kiss on yeah. Hoth. And then, yep. you know, the, I actually have a tattoo of the scene where um, the Millennium Falcon's going into the asteroid field. It says, never tell me the odds. Oh, really? Oh, yep. I like that. Yeah. Ooh. Very cool. So that, that's how much I love the movie. I, I have it tattooed on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so cool. And just and it's so it's so dark and brooding and there's this like yeah, and it's more more mature and more psychological. And I think it, you know, the original Star Wars was all like fantasy and adventure and stuff. And this is more like if in Empire Strikes Back, it feels like really like there's real stakes there, you know, and you're like, mm-hmm. will, will they find Han Solo? Will they get him back? You know, will Luke be able to face up to his father again and and I, I might be wrong but I think I mean sequels were only really starting to emerge in the 70s and 80s so this was probably mm-hmm. the first, one of the first trilogies that they had planned a trilogy for if, if I'm not mistaken and it's probably one of the first films or sequels that ends on a bit of a cliffhanger I suppose yeah, like, and then it, I do believe yeah and it's then it's sort of setting up Return of the Jedi which didn't come out for like another three years so you know obviously they had this grand plan which is uh, which was really unheard of back then um, and kind of really set the tone for trilogies and sequels for forever, really, with, with that. Yeah. Definitely. And um, I always like the fact that they didn't even know if Harrison Ford was going to return okay. for the third, for Return okay. of the Jedi, because he's long been a proponent that Han Solo should have been killed off. Really? In okay. Empire, yeah. That's one of the reasons why he agreed to come back for The Force Awakens was uh, the agreement that they were going to kill him. Right. The rumor is. Okay. You know, obviously yeah. I can't speak for him. <laughs> um, yeah. But George Lucas didn't want to kill off a character that he could sell toys for. <laughs> of course. So that's why Han lived. And he's a, George Lucas, but, he's a businessman, so yeah, you, you can see that choice, yeah. Well, I mean, he did great with that. He held on to the toy rights. Mm. Like, he didn't have as much of the other rights like that, but he held on to the toy rights, and that's where he really made bank. Yeah, 100%. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, obviously, before the prequels came out in 1999, uh, in 1997, they re-released the original trilogy in cinemas. Uh, Did you get a chance to see that, or were you old enough at the time, or...? Yeah, I was old enough. Yep. And... I have great <laughs> hatred 
for the changes that George Lucas made to the original trilogy. Okay. Like, I actually just wrote an article for Fiction File on the subject. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> Excellent. It's, it's a long ranting thing about the the changes yeah. in your original trilogy and why they made no sense. Okay. Can Just quickly, can you tell us what changes he made to Empire for, for that re-release? Can you recall? Um, I can't recall for Empire, like any major big changes. Um, honestly, the change that I'm mostly upset about is they're in A New Hope and then Return of the Jedi. Mm. You know, like um, the Han and Greedo scene. Which you can't see my T-shirt, but it says Han shot first on it. Oh, uh, cool! I like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then at the end, now they, this is a change he did when he made another re-release. He made the changes after the prequels, um, swapping out, um, putting um, Hayden Christensen in the scene at the end um, with yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, and then adding in all the celebrations and things like that. It was just like. Mm-hmm. It was so overdone and so obviously CGI. Absolutely. But honest, I think that might also be one of the reasons why Empire is one of my favorites is because it was the least touched. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And and probably a good a good choice for him to let someone else direct it as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, and who directed Empire Strikes Back? the name I've gone blank. Can you remember who directed it? I'm not sure he did a whole lot else other than Empire, but did a great job, whoever it was. I don't think it was Larry Kasdan. I think that was... Irvin Kirshner. Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Irvin, Irvin Kirshner. Yeah. yeah, the name just came back to me. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Uh, a, Larry, a Ka- Larry Kasdan did the Return of the Jedi. That's right. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe maybe they got Harrison Ford to come back to that because they told him it was going to be Return of the Ford or something. I don't know. <laughs> Bad joke. But anyway, uh, just a little throwback there. Um, yeah, okay, well, favourite scene from Empire Strikes Back? It's hard to choose, but or is it more than one favourite scene for you? I love all the scenes with Han and Leia. Yeah. Like, all the scenes. Um, probably just the one that makes me, like, giggle the most or, have, like, you know, I really like the most for silly reasons is um, the scene when they're on Hoth after Luke gets rescued and she calls him the scruffy looking nerf herder. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, scruffy looking. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and just the little repartee between the two of them, they've got that that good chemistry together, which both, you know, probably had something to do with the fact that, you know, Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher had a off-screen relationship, but... Oh, they just had yeah. really good chemistry together yeah. and their lines were so witty. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But but my favorite, favorite, favorite scene that just makes the whole movie is again that just that one at the end mm. where like after Luke's getting his his new hand attached and it's just that scene just sticks with me the most. Yeah. You know, as they're just looking out into space, you know, and there's hope. There is. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful scene. And it's it's calm and it's like it's the calm after the storm and they're Mm -hmm. recovering, they're healing, they're safe in their ship. And it's, yeah, they're like looking out to space saying like, you know what, we we can make things right again. You know, we're not Mm -hmm. we're not completely defeated yet. Um, Exactly. Come back with a vengeance and Jedi and. It's a huge, a huge battle. So yeah, really cool, mm-hmm. really cool scene. Absolutely. Um, so for anyone who's been living in a bunker or under the, under a rock, um, Empire Strikes Back, the technically the fifth film in the whole saga, but the second one to be made and released in 1980, I think it was, um, and definitely probably the best Star Wars film of, of all of them, I think, um, and probably mm-hmm. Kareem would agree too, definitely in the original trilogy. So um, yeah, Empire Strikes Back. Good stuff. Good choice. All right. Well, we've covered off uh, Empire Strikes Back, and uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts now, um, Kareen, on the film that uh, was, you know, a life changer for you. Um, it's shaped you in some way. It's uh, made you see the world differently. 
it's it awakens something in people you know these kind of films um what in whatever way that is so yeah what what would that film be for you and can you uh, tell us all about it it would be the very old 1970s film with robert redford and dustin hoffman of all the president's men which is the story of of course carl bernstein and bob woodward two journalists for the Washington Post who basically broke the story of Watergate with um, former President Nixon and all the shenanigans he was up to. Yeah, absolutely. Woodward, Bernstein, get in here. At times, it looked as if it might cost them their jobs. You guys are about to write a story that says the former attorney general, the highest ranking law enforcement officer in this country is a crook their reputations. Why is the Post trying to do it? I don't know. Perhaps even their lives. So, okay, so for those who might not be sort of that familiar with American politics at the time and, and the Watergate conspiracy. Um, give us a quick a quick summary, like what, what happened there and, and what prompted this investigation? Um, what happened was, what prompted the investigation was they caught burglars in the Watergate hotel. Yep. They caught them. And for some reason, um, Bob Woodward thought there was something more there. And then he did a little digging and then Bernstein and him got put together by their editor on the case. But basically what happened is, and this is, I'm not real great at American politics history either. And I grew up in them. Um, Basically what happened is Nixon was, I can't think of the word I want. Um, trying to kind of like bad mouth the opposition he was trying to make them look bad but um, i just can't think of the word like like smear them like is that the smear. word smear yeah Thank you. smear them yeah. yeah yeah gotcha it was basically a smear campaign against mm-hmm. um the other side yep and the watergates i believe in the hotel they were shredding paperwork or they're getting rid of paperwork or something like that or tapes you know i'm not sure because my experience is with the movie that's my extent of the experience they don't really talk too much about what they actually did right yeah it seems to be more about the the journalistic process Mm -hmm. and the investigation yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah and and um how was this film introduced to you can you recall I want to say maybe I watched it at school or something like that, or maybe it was on TV, but I was probably 11 when I first watched this movie. Okay. So that was a very long time ago. I don't want to say the year because it's also old. <laughs> yeah. um, I, maybe it was a history class or something like that that we watched it in. Yeah. But I, I'm pretty sure I watched it at school. Yeah. And um, what sticks out to me about this movie, like what changed my life, um, I had wanted to be a doctor prior to watching this movie. Like I was just so sure that's what I was meant to be. You know, I was trying to take all the science classes and stuff and, you know, getting everything ready. And I was going to be a doctor. Yeah. But then I watched this movie and all of a sudden I was in love with the idea of investigative journalism. Absolutely. It really takes you into that world, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, like what watching it was definitely uh takes you right inside the world of, of journalism and all that. So for you that that really inspired you to look into that sort of field and mm-hmm. get to know it more. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um it actually um so I was in sixth grade which is the beginning of middle school in the american school system and like that's when i watched that movie when i watched all the president's men and i actually tried to start 
a newspaper <laughs> at our middle school when yeah. I was in sixth grade. Um, because I, I just, I knew that was what I was meant to do. And yeah. I don't know what I thought investigative journalism I was going to find at the middle school. Like, I don't <laughs> know, maybe find out that they were cutting costs on the breakfast pizza. I have no yeah. idea, but <laughs> I just remember, yeah. <laughs> I just remember like I was talking to the principal and I was, there were three different, there were three different principals, like a principal and two vice principals. And I was very unfortunately on first name basis with the, all the principals for no fault of my own. Okay. Um, I had an older brother, it's his fault. Um, and so I would go to them and I tell them, look, we could do this, you know, we could do this. And, you know, it took me until finally two, two years later, my eighth grade year, the last year I was in middle school, I finally convinced or wore them down enough that we started a newspaper at my middle school and it was barely more than like a newsletter yeah you know we cropped things and we put them on paper and we made copies and nice. you know we passed it out but I was just so proud I was a journalist finally <laughs> you were yeah. absolutely yeah for sure and and what was the name of the newspaper can you remember um it was the coil connection because we it was coil Coil Middle School was the school I went to. Yeah. I personally had a much better idea for the newspaper name. Um, our mascot was the Cougars. And so they called the sixth graders. They broke them up into two different groups, the Claws and the Paws. <laughs> and that's what my idea for the newspaper name should have been, Claws oh, and Paws. Right. That's a cool name. Yeah. But yeah. That's right up there with the basically the newsletter content that we produce. But <laughs> yeah. It was a and start. Absolutely. And did you f experience similar success as, you know, Woodward and Bernstein? Like, did your principal resign <laughs> or anything like that? <laughs> no, unfortunately, the probably the biggest breaking news that we ever wrote a story about was someone was setting fires in the trash cans. Ooh. Ooh, um in the break rooms not yeah. the break rooms the restrooms um during school gosh and we kept having to go out yeah and that's probably the biggest story that we broke right was you know finding out who it was yep. once the person got caught we you know we had to talk to them they, they right. didn't want us to publish it but <laughs> we, we yeah. were renegades well 13 year old done. renegades well done. The power of investigative journalism, hey? Yeah. <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. And and I can see how watching that film um, is so, you know, influential in that way. Um, and watching it myself, like early on in the film when, it, when, we intro when we're introduced to these reporters played by Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman and, like, the camera zooms in on him writing these notes and it's one phone call after another. So this is old school journalism here. And it really takes you into that world and it's it's so authentic. And I was listening to a podcast recently about it and they actually reconstructed uh, the entire, you know, Washington Post office as a set for this film. And it, apparently it looked exactly like how it was, which I thought was just incredible. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, so obviously it triggered off the, that love of journalism for you. And um, I, I guess in, in sort of a bigger picture, you know, the, you know, the power of journalism and, and uh, what it was then versus what it is now. And we've seen other films about this, like Spotlight as well, which was a recent one um, mm -hmm. about the, you know, the church cover-ups and stuff. So, yeah, like how, how do you how do you think um, journalism's like progressed and, and is it still as powerful and respected as it was back then? Um, it's definitely not as respected as it was yeah um and I, I hate to say this um there's too much bias in the news today um because the whole point of being journalists is supposed to be just the facts you know you're not supposed to have your own opinion that's what the editorial page is for or I guess if it was a tv show that would be you know an editorial you know commentaries but 
there's too much bias in the news nowadays and yeah. nobody believes they they read the news that they want to that aligns with their values mm-hmm. and they think the others made up fake news that kind of stuff yeah and with the onset of blogging yeah everyone can be a reporter a journalist now yeah yeah and you don't have to go through like I had to take ethics classes. Yeah. You know, from my degree. You right. know, we had to learn ethics of journalism and so many other things, but just now anybody can start a blog and call themselves a journalist. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. I'm not saying the news is bad today. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some really good, really good shows out there that are still really good. Yeah, really sure. impartial, like um, NPR, the mm-hmm. radio sh- radio channel over here. Yep. Um, you know, and there's still good news out there, and there's yeah. still journalists that try to say unbiased, but it's definitely not like it used to be. Yeah, and it, like you said, it's with everyone doing it. It's it's overcrowded. It's oversaturated. It's mm-hmm. we get it now quicker than ever. Like back in the seventies, with the with you know all the president's men in that time, like. It was the newspaper was where it was at. Like it was everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Washington yeah. Post was like so highly regarded. Um, and it was mm-hmm. like whatever was front page, it's like that's what you paid attention to. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, sadly that's been a bit lost and unfortunately. And um, and just coming back to the film, like um, obviously it takes you into the world of journalism so well. Uh, and, and what else does it do really well, like in terms of just how it's made and, and the kind of the journey the characters go on? Like what makes it such a great film in your opinion? It's really well acted. Mm. Like yeah. you can yeah. see, like there's one particular scene um, where Bob Woodward's on the phone with a source and the source calls him back and he gives him this tip about the campaign funds check that went to someone high up in the Nixon organization. Mm-hmm. And he, you can just see like it's not overly done but you can just like see this palpable excitement from Robert Redford's character from Bob Woodward and like I was it was just I was just excited as him yeah like I'm like oh my god this is a big deal yeah because it was it's just I mean Robert Redford's of course a fabulous actor yeah you know I think he's 87 years old now I heard the other day yeah yeah. but um him and Dustin Hoffman they're just their camaraderie together they played well off of each other it was just a really well acted film yeah very well acted yeah and and for a film that's heavy on sorry go ahead yeah I was just I was gonna say which is pretty good because it's not really heavy on action or anything like that it's you know, a lot of phone calls and a lot of research and talking to people. That's right. And it still somehow seems mm. exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I, which is exactly what I was going to just say then. Like it's heavy on the dialogue, but it just, it keeps you glued in because of those performances. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I couldn't agree more. And uh, another example of just um, some of the most, you know, um, landmark films in cinema came out during the 70s, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. there's a whole lot of other stuff to discover there as well. And uh, do, you, do you see it as like sort of one of the best films of the 70s or even just one of the best, you know, American films ever made? Would it be up in, in that level for you? I would say definitely one of the best films to come out of the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's pretty... I don't know if I'd say it's one of the best films of American films ever made because there's just so many great movies out there with yeah. different stories and things like that. Like I honestly almost chose Shawshank. Oh uh, yeah. You know, um, because that was, you know, one of the greatest films ever made. Yeah. Um couldn't agree more. But it's definitely one of the best films that come out of the seventies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, with two actors who are really at their peak um, at that time, Dustin Hoffman and Robert Redford. And, yeah, fantastic editing, fantastic writing. And I think you've touched on some really good points about the power of journalism and how it does really inspire investigative journalism when you watch it and, like, that process of, like, seeking for the truth no matter what 
no matter what gets in your way or how long it takes. And yeah, and the, and the film ends in an interesting way where they keep, and this is not really spoiling it, um, most people will know the history will know eventually Nixon confessed and resigned, mm-hmm. but then it shows all the subsequent headlines after that first breaking mm-hmm. story. And like over a two-year period, it eventually led up to him admitting, yep, I've done it and I've resigned. So it all started with these two reporters, you know, and mm-hmm. um, I think there's a lot of documentaries out there as well about this and a lot of books. So mm-hmm. if anyone wants to sort of do a deep dive into it, absolutely. Um, and I guess you know, you, it inspired you to start the paper in high school and everything, and I, and I know you've gone on to um, specialise in fiction and that. So in terms of, like, your writing or your interest in writing, um, where is that now and is that sort of still a journalistic approach or have you gone in a different way? Like, where are you now? Um, well, I went a little bit a different way after um, I realised investigative journalism was a lot of work. Mm. and I have the attention span of like a flea (laughs) so then I changed my mind and I went more towards entertainment journalism um I wanted to be a video game journalist cool um I wanted to write about video games things like I actually when I was in college which is where I met your previous guest Jason he was my editor on the college newspaper actually um I had, I was always getting contacts from like Microsoft and the game studios and stuff like that to get games to review for the newspaper. And that's what I wanted to do, like reviews and talk about video games and stuff like that. Yep. Cool. Absolutely. And, you know, you you would be a very trusted source given your knowledge of games and your (laughs) extensive collection and everything. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, um, again, another film people really need to uh, take the time to watch and uh, to see the process that happened there that led up to Nixon's resignation. And it's a good, I guess it's a good um, commentary on the state of politics at the time and journalism and power of journalism if it's used in the right way. Uh, Hopefully any other up-and-coming journalists might watch it and get inspired to follow in those footsteps and find the truth and no matter what it takes, even if it affects them and their mm-hmm. reputation and their credibility, it's, it's about the truth, I think. And it's mm-hmm. really, that's what the message of the film is, is, is truth. And what you have to do sometimes to get the truth is interesting. And then there's so many other things about the film we could talk about. Um, but, but just quickly, your thoughts on the deep throat character. Um, was he real? Was he not? Was he creation? What, what um, do you think about that? <laughs> well, the movie was based on the book written by uh, Woodward and Bernstein. Um, and I've heard that they said now, like later on, that they've said that um, Deep Throat was actually a man named W. Mark Felt. Um, but I definitely believe that, like, he was a character in existence, you know, because yeah. back then they were a little more wild. They were a little more wild about, you know, anonymous sources and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, and the whole sort of standing in the shadows of the car park and cloak and dagger thing made it really, really interesting. I'm, and I'm sure that was a little for the movie. Of course, you know, yeah. I couldn't picture I couldn't picture them just like meeting over, you know, in a garage somewhere, <laughs> yeah. you know, and just Yeah. That's it. Someone was down in the shadows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But when I was watching it, I, I had a thought like because I was grew up in the nineties and I was a big X Files fan. And in the first mm-hmm couple of seasons there was a character who helped Mulder called Deep Throat um Mm -hmm. who I'm wondering if he was based on the idea of this character Deep Throat who'd just been hanging around Washington for 20 years and he just knew all the secrets and (laughs) you know it's like he'd meet you under all these different circumstances so I I, I wondered if maybe that was meant to be the same guy that would actually be pretty funny if it was Mm, yeah I like like, like that that's a that's my new uh fan canon there we go. Yeah, we should, we'll start that theory. Yeah, <laughs> let's see how how that goes. We'll, we'll see if we'll go viral. Um, all right, fantastic. Well, any, any other sort of final um, comments or things you want to say about all the president's men? Or um, well, you you said earlier about that you felt like the message of it was getting the truth out there, getting to the truth no matter what. And I want to say I do agree with that statement somewhat, but also. I think the main thing about this movie is tenacity. Mm. Like that's the main, that's to me is what this movie is about. 
they had an inkling something wasn't right. Their editors told them no, you know, people were talking trash on them basically. Everyone was, you know, stonewalling them every time they turned around, but they never gave up. Yeah. And that to me is just that's what this movie was about. Yeah. They were determined to find the truth no matter what. Absolutely. Yeah. And that characteristic of tenacity, which again is something that's not as common these days, I think, because mm. maybe there's more to lose, or you know, you can be scrutinized a lot easier and a lot quickly mm -hmm. these days in the online world. Um, but yeah, really good point. I, I agree, absolutely. All right, so we've had two very um, different films so far, and I'm sure the next one's going to be even more uh, diverse, given Corinne's, you know tastes and experience with films and everything so this is the film she thinks everyone must see in their life and what i love about this category is every person we speak to has a very different film um and there's some films that are commonly believed to be the you know the must-see films you must see i think there's even a book that says a thousand and one films you need to see before you die or something we might get through all of those in this podcast. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> uh, but this one um, was something kind of new to me uh, and could be new to a lot of our viewers who don't normally watch this uh, style of uh, filmmaking. But let's hear all about it, Corrine. So what is the film everyone must see in their life, you think? This was the hardest choice that I yeah. had to make. Like, yeah. my favourite movie was easy. The movie that changed my life was easy but this one I actually had to like sit there and think about all the movies yeah and so I chose the Studio Ghibli film Spirited Away which is an anime Walt Disney Studios presents a Studio Ghibli film experience a magical movie phenomenon embraced by all the world let's go This fall, prepare to be spirited away. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, I mean, it's just a really great movie. It's like the old style of hand-drawn yep. anime as well as some computer-generated stuff put together. Yep. And it's just a beautiful movie. Oh. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and falling into that category of anime, so from Japan mm -hmm. predominantly. Yeah, so it is a Japanese film. And I remember first hearing about it back when it came out. I think it was nominated for an Oscar. Um, I think it might have been nominated for mm -hmm. Best Animated so. Film. Yeah, I'm not sure if it won, but I think it was nominated. Uh, so, um, you know, it's not a film that's easy to describe, but like if, if you could give it your best shot, like tell us what it's about and what is what is this journey it's going to take somebody on who's never seen anything like it? Um, yeah, it is really tough to describe. Um, the best description, little synopsis I can give of the movie for anyone who's never seen it, which is probably a lot of people, is um, there's a young girl named Chihiro and her parents, they're moving someplace and they stop to, for whatever reason, they're drawn to look through this um, park area that's on their way to their new house. And they don't know that it's a magic area. And there's like all this food out and stuff like that. And the parents just gorge themselves on it. But because it's magic, they're turned into pigs. Mm. And Chihiro has to find a way to save her parents from the witch, mm -hmm. you know, who runs everything. Yeah. It's, I know it's not the best description, but that's honestly <laughs> the movie. Absolutely. And that, that's, that's the setup. And, you know, and it really gets right into it. And you're just, you're drawn into it with this beautiful animation and, the, the whole mystery of it of like what if we just turn down this road and see where it goes you know and, and then end up entering this magical world like that's just there you know hidden from reality and I thought that was really cool and it's very much done from the child's perspective 
you know, and uh, that look sitting in the car, looking out the window at the sky. It's like, where are we going, mum and dad? And and then you don't know where you're ending up. And then it's up to you to save your parents. It's kind of the things that kids fantasize about, but also would be scared of as well, like suddenly losing their parents and not knowing what what anything is or where anything is. And 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 she sort of enters this world. So um yeah, like you said, it's all kind of uh run by this this witch. Uh and yeah, where do we go from there? Like <laughs> I, f- I found watching it was like I had no idea where this is going, who she's gonna meet. Like every scene is just so yeah, like mm-hmm. it's a journey. It's, <laughs> it's it's a very out there movie. Yeah. Um honestly, the reason why I chose this movie is because it's a movie about to me self-discovery um you see this young girl to hero she's scared like she's scared of everything you know she's scared of going exploring with her parents she's scared of being left alone she's scared of the monsters that she sees and she's just so scared of everything but throughout this movie she has to keep facing those fears they keep coming over and over again she has to keep doing things that she's scared of to try mm-hmm. to save her parents. Yeah. And she does it. So she somehow like finds this inner strength and she becomes a, I guess, a better person yeah. for it, you know, because she's stronger. Mm-hmm. For sure. And and everything there is is very uh confronting and, and scary. And there's all these sort of creatures and you don't know who's who's there to help her and who's not. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and in, in terms of other anime films, is like I don't know much about the genre, but how how is this sort of thought of and regarded in in the anime genre? Um, well, the studio Ghibli films as a whole are thought are like they're on like put up on a shelf as far as you know considered to be classic examples of anime. You know, you, you have some of the more like. And the action-oriented animes like, you know, Dragon Ball Z or Naruto or something like that. And then you have the magical girl genre of anime like Sailor Moon um, and other Cardcaptor Sakura, you know, other animes like that. But the Ghibli movies are set aside, basically. They're they're kind of like, I don't want to say like they're their own little subgenre but they're held in a high esteem in the anime community just because of, well, Miyazaki, which is the guy who made him. He's, he's just such a visionary. Like with all the different films, they're all all so different. Yeah. But um, they're just, I don't know. I've kind of lost the plot for (laughs) what I was saying. I'm sorry. That's okay. (laughs) Yeah, it's ADHD. Um, but I would say that the movie is just well respected by you know the anime community, and even uh, people who aren't anime fans, they're not weebs or whatever, they enjoy the movie. Yeah, just because it is a beautiful movie. Oh, stunning, stunning animation. Yeah, and like I said, I don't think I've ever watched anime for more than like say a couple of minutes it just never jumped out at me at any point but uh you know the great thing about this podcast is i get to explore new kinds of films that you Mm -hmm. and our other guests choose and it encourages me to go and watch them so we can talk about them Mm -hmm. um and that's yeah now i'm like i'm I'm interested you know and i've i've heard and seen of other ones that have popped up along the way like Mm -hmm. owl's moving castle i think is another one um akira i've heard is like the original like groundbreaking one that everyone raves about our local IMAX theater here in Melbourne shows it like once a year or something. So yeah, it's it's got me it's gotten me intrigued for the point of just experiencing this beautiful animation, mm-hmm. and it's it's you know storytelling that is not traditional. It's not doesn't really follow an arc that we're familiar with. Mm-hmm. It's more of it's almost like the, the whoever made it. It's like their fantasies, their dreams and nightmares, you know, manifested in this animation. That's kind of what I got. Like I, I was watching and I was just so absorbed. And at times I'm like, oh, that's cool. And at other times I'm like, what the hell's going on? You know, like, like <laughs> I'm really confused here. Um, where's this going? And then it just turns and you're kind of like, oh, that makes sense. But now this is happening and I'm confused again. <laughs> it's just, 
it was like really surreal, but I I, I loved mm -hmm. it for that. So I think that's a big part of the anime experience, isn't it? Like it's not mm -hmm. what you expect, is it? Yeah, um, it's definitely not the standard anime fare that you would get nowadays, mm -hmm. or even back in the day, like when I was younger. Um, Miyazaki's storytelling is just, I think you summed it up pretty well. And he said it seems like these were like dreams and nightmares and things like he had. It's almost like he's pouring himself into the movies. Yeah. Um, like you mentioned Howl's Moving Castle. Um, another really good one is Princess Mononoke. Okay. Um, they all have different they all have different storylines, but they all seem to have the same underlying theme of the main character, the protagonist, and their strength. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So there's still there's still a human story in there hidden underneath all of this really um, amazing, unusual animation. So, yeah, which is really cool, I think. And it's it's about a, a, the journey of this young girl facing her fears, like you said, and finding her parents, which is, you know, what, what's a kid going to do who's lost and can't find their parents? They're going to just wander around until they find them, which is kind of what she does. So <laughs> absolutely. And And I guess why is this the film people need to see? Like, for someone who may be like anime, not my cup of tea, animation, no, but what well, like I mean I can you and I can say why we, we should watch this film. You know, we, we both experienced it, but like do you do you recommend this film to people? Um yeah, how, how do you sort of I do. Yeah, you do. Okay. Yeah. Um the reason why I think this is a movie that I think everyone to see, it's for multiple reasons. One, it's a beautiful movie. The animation is top notch. Um, a lot of Japanese culture is in it, which, you know, helps like expand people's experiences and her mm -hmm. expand your horizons. Um, but mainly it is for the theme of the self-discovery, the self-confidence, mm -hmm. because I think, especially a lot of us as adults, forget what it was like to be a scared little kid. And, um, it's just a reminder that, you know, kind of like we were all scared at one point, something scared us, but we made it through it yeah. just like Chihiro did. Yep. So, Absolutely. Yeah. I just, it's just, I think, I think it's more like a reminder, mm -hmm. you know, that we all have that inner strength, that we've all overcome some things. Yeah. Like they may not be magical my parents may not have gotten turned into pigs but you know i've overcome a lot of things yeah and like chihiro i was scared mm -hmm. but i still did it you got and we it. all do it every day we do we're all scared of things and we still face them we do absolutely yeah really really well put i think that's really the what's at the heart of the story and um yeah i couldn't agree more and i think that's what people will get out of it, you know, and it, it's, it's an experience. It's a viewing experience. It's an emotional and psychological experience. And um, I was at times I was just like moved. I was confused. I was amazed. I was challenged. I'm like, wow, this, this is an, this is an experience <laughs> watching this film, you know, and I'd love to go <laughs> and do it again. Um, con and conveniently it's, it was on Netflix here in Australia. So I was able to watch it and, it and come back to it a few times which was great. So yeah, spirited away. So anyone watching who's like, no, anime is not my cup of tea. And look, I used to say that as well. Uh, I'm now an anime fan, uh, consider me hooked and um, I'm definitely going to check out more. So yeah, thank you for sharing this film with us and, and your story behind it. I think it was a really nice choice and, and really well put and why, what the message is behind it as well. Um, and just sort of in wrapping up, Corinne, I like to ask a couple of more questions of everyone. So firstly, any other honourable mentions of films? I know the top three was hard to narrow down, but what else do you want to give a shout out to? Um, well, I did kind of shout out to it earlier, and that was uh, Shawshank, which yeah. we had, we were on the podcast about. Yes. <laughs> which funnily enough, before I recorded that podcast, that was the first time I'd ever watched Shawshank. Oh, wow. Yeah. I watched it just for the podcast and it blew my mind. Yeah. Amazing. Um, I, I'm weird about my movie watching, you know, it's gotta be something that really just grabs my attention because I have no attention span. 
so as far as like other movies that go like the entire original star wars trilogy mm-hmm. i love every bit of it yeah um i love all the studio ghibli movies yeah and um, i almost chose um princess mononoke over spirited away because it has more of an environmentalist message you know about humans versus you know the, the animals you know in the environment and that kind of stuff yeah and it's just a beautifully written movie that actually um I actually watched a YouTube video on how they were comparing that movie to the new Zelda game. Oh, okay. Like the storyline, like the storyline was very similar. Oh, interesting. Yeah. 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 Did, did they ever do a video game adaptation of Spirited Away? <laughs> that would be interesting. No, no, oh, yeah. I would, that would be kind of cool. It would be cool. Yeah. To just I, like a computer's game or like, you know, like a Grand Theft Auto or something where you could just like explore the whole world and interact <laughs> with all the characters. That would be cool. Uh, I think somehow for some reason I would want to play the game as the suit sprites. Yeah, that's right. Because yeah. they're just so adorable. They are. Yeah, there's they are those little uh those little black characters, the little fuzzy black the little balls. around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I remember them. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And then just lastly, um question but the future of movies you know we're, we're kind of in an interesting point now with with movies where, where things like marvel have dominated for so long mm-hmm. i feel like maybe that's starting to change a little bit we've got streaming is encouraging people to stay home more and go to the cinema less but then you have these films that are coming out that are breaking box office records like top gun maverick barbie oppenheimer recently um so we're seeing things that may not have been predicted or tipped to do well, which are bringing people back. So, I mean, that's just my take on it. But, like, yeah, future movies, what do you think should happen? What would you like to see happen? What are you looking forward to? Anything along those lines? Um, I would like to actually see more independent movies. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen a lot of the smaller budget movies because everything's focused on, like, the big budget stuff, you know, like, the marvel movies the Mm -hmm. dceu the you know movies like like you mentioned top gun all these big budget movies full of special effects that it seems almost like the special effects is the focus of the movie and not necessarily the story Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. i would like to see more story driven you know plots out there again yeah. that don't necessarily have to have a huge budget they don't need to they don't need to have ilm in to uh do their special effects or whatever yeah. they're just simple yeah and they tell a story that moves you yeah yeah i'm, I'm with you 100 percent. and and not just reserve those films for like awards season around you know december mm-hmm. january february that are all vying for the awards but like have them come out throughout the year mm-hmm. you know there were some really great yeah. independent films late last year early this year which got some attention at the oscars but why should we have to wait you know, till the end of the year for that? Exactly. So, yeah, no, that would be I mean, great, I think. Um, and look, I, I've had this chat with a few people recently about how, you know, obviously television is very much dominating at the moment. It's it's the golden age of television right now. It's so much content out there and so many different streaming services. Um, and that movies always have to compete with that. But, you know, I think if, if filmmakers are willing to take some risks and go back to doing something with less of a budget but more focus on story and character, then they could have something that breaks through and people pay attention to because there's something special about going to the movies that you can't really get anywhere else, you know. And um, personally, I love movies more than TV, <laughs> so I'm a little biased in that way. But, yeah, I, I think you make a good point there. Like we need to give the independent films a bit more room to to shine as well. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. And that's that's not to knock on the Marvel movies or any of the other ones out there because I love the MCU. Yeah. I'm always the first one at the movie theater going yeah. to watch the new MCU movie. Yeah. I, I love the everything about the MCU, the TV shows, yep. all of it yep. together. Absolutely. Because it's fun. It's escapism. Yeah. But it's becoming that's all you get. Yeah, it's it's just seems like all you're getting is big budget blockbusters designed to rake in billions of dollars. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you almost have to go and look for some of those little films, you know, and um, 
yeah, I guess if you're active about it, you can find them and you might have to go out of your way and go to the smaller theatres and film festivals and stuff, but usually it's worth the effort, I find. Um, yeah. Cool. It just feels slightly like the art of storytelling is mm. being lost yeah. nowadays. Definitely, yeah. Well, you know what, we'll, this, we'll bring it back. We've, we've, we've had this conversation now on this podcast, so it's out there. So um, anyone from Hollywood who's watching... You know, <laughs> you've, you've got you've got your instructions, so get to work. All right, <laughs> um, all right. Well, th- thank you, Corinne. Un- unfortunately, all good things must come to an end, and we'll we'll uh, we'll wrap it up here. But it's been a, a really great chat, and uh, I've really loved the films you've chosen and all the different things we've been able to talk about through these films and hearing your stories and your your little entrepreneurial journalistic days back in high school. That was really cool. Um, And yeah, thank you for, for being a guest on my movie story. Well, thank you for having me. It's just been a really great conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I love, I, I love talking about star Wars. So, you know, and then, you know, my other movies. Absolutely. Yeah. And we could go on forever and ever and yeah, but uh, maybe, maybe part two of this podcast will, will come a bit later, but, uh, but, but yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. And um, thanks for watching. Thank you.